Welcome, one and all, to Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Star Trek universe. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Bonjour, Pete. I remember you from tomorrow. Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 103, The End is the Beginning, comes to you now via Shared Narrative Framework. And just a bit of fleet news before we arrive at the episode. At least news, Pete, for those in the United States. Apparently, Viacom and CBS are going to make a thing to replace CBS All Access, which might live on its skeleton. But much like UPN and the plans for Star Trek Next Generation to start a fourth network, uh, the current thing that Star Trek lives on may be going away, subsumed, mixed, etc., well, as long as they keep the wonderful content and ditch the subpar delivery system, I think everybody wins. And now for the mission briefing. After a montage of the synth attack on Mars, Jean-Luc Picard strolls out of Starfleet headquarters in San Francisco in 2385, 14 years ago, and is met by Raffi who asks if they gave him a hard time about the ships. Was it the manpower then? Picard laid out a plan to use reserve duty officers and mothballed ships to maintain the evacuation at a severely reduced level. But he informs Rafi that all synthetic life forms have been banned throughout the Federation effective immediately. All active units dismantled and research halted. Indeed, Pete, he even waves off the idea that the Tal Shiar stopped the help of the Romulans. A little bit of a story flag there, I suspect. He seems dazed, saying that no one is thinking, just reacting. Starfleet seems to be made up of those who don't want to save the Romulans and those who are scared, two separate camps. Uh, he offered his plan or his resignation, and they took his resignation. Well, says Rafi. What's the desperate wild plan? No. Uh, now? No, no. His resignation was that plan, and now it's over. Uh, she rather pointedly asks if he will slink off back to the chateau and write his memoirs. Oh, man, Pete, we know he did that. Uh, and with that, Rafi is summoned via pad message, and she suspects she's about to be fired. With that, we head to the title sequence. At Vasquez Rocks, which are now ironically canonical as a location for a character's home having appeared throughout the history of star trek uh we catch up in the present day where picard is explaining to raffi about dodge's demise and his plan to try to save her sister i will bite my tongue pete that vasquez rocks is a uh, in it, it is a county park in los angeles county 45 minutes from downtown la uh, and therefore, it's kind of weird that she would be living so close to a major city. Somebody online told me, no, no, it could be explained because who would want to live in Los Angeles in the 24th century? Uh, but it's cool that they're in A, an L.A. location, uh, California tax credit, filming, etc. B, in this historical, uh, Star Trek historical site. Um, we see that Rafi has heard about the particulars of the plan because uh, Jean-Luc, or JL, as she says about 18,000 times in this episode, told the CNC of Starfleet, uh, and that leads 
to information being shared like it's a leaky faucet. And she chastises him for his comfy living while she's been in her hovel where she's been humiliated and filled with rage and paranoia. Oh, and it would have been nice if JL had reached out any time in the last 14 years. Just get away, JL. JL, JL, JL. I like the JL affectation. It tells us through dialogue. It shows us of their character's connection. So I will disagree with Matt here. I think it's his snake leaf induced paranoia. <laughs> uh, the story moves to the board cube where the undersold Hugh, you know, I mean, I know if you saw any of the, the previews or the, you know, the press or whatever, Oh, Hugh is back. That a vaunted uh, character from two episodes in TNG and whatnot. Here, the episode surprisingly does not give some sort of walk into frame. Bum, bum, bum. I am Hugh, former Borg. Just kind of, it's one, it's one for the fans in the back. Hugh is watching uh, Soji say goodbye to another freed soul. You know, one of those Borgs. He commends her. Well, it, was the, it was the one from last week. Ah, he was watching either in real time in a different location or watching the hollow feed of her having met with that Borg. He was watching last week on Star Trek Picard. That is, it's nice to know he's it's nice to know he's a viewer as well as a character. Um, he commends her on speaking to a nameless uh, in, in the nameless's language. He notes that XBs, I have to admit, Pete, took a second to go, oh, X Borgs, spelled with the letter X and then the capital B, uh, Which they they've are, used in previous episodes. Oh, absolutely. I'm just saying, Pete, it was this episode where I was like, oh, XB stands for X-Borg. Uh, he notes that they are hated trash or a valued commodity. Uh, he uses the we to make it clear that he is an XB, uh, just for anybody who might not be clear about it. Uh, and Pete, he has an update. He's approved her request to talk to Ramda. But wait, how has she read the classified info on Ramda, Pete? He does not know that, and uh, she finds that when she asks people for help, she gets it. This has not been Hugh's experience, particularly with Romulans. So what are we doing from a story standpoint? We were setting up here. Here is a legacy ex-Borg character. XB. He is in some... What's that? XB. Oh. <laughs> That's what the cool kids he... call it, Pete. Come on. <laughs> I thought you okay, said Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> He's not XP, no. No. He is in a position of some authority to grant a request for Soji, and also that uh, he reports in some manner of uh, being to the Romulans. So it's a clear structure in terms of who is in charge. Anywho, Pete, she's going to dig into some shared mythology and Star Trek metaphors uh, in upcoming scenes. She's kind of setting the table for that now. Back we go to Vasquez Rocks. Picard apologizes and underlines that the Talshiar synth hunters are indeed on Earth. And just in case you weren't sure of the level of conspiracy, also says that the Federation must be complicit. Uh, references made to how Rafi had evidence that a high-ranking Starfleet official let the Mars attack happen. It was supported by the Romulans, but whoa, she didn't mean it in the sense of this current Tal Shiar synth hunter business. He says there's a lack of evidence. She says a lack of evidence is proof of a cover-up, 
Oh man, Pete, that snake leaf does make one paranoid. Well, the watch out for the space vape there, Matt, and the secondhand space vape. But she will not go down another rabbit hole with him and tells him to leave. But not before she tells him the name of a pilot, Rios, and he will be in touch. Off we go to the Daystrom Institute. Uh, side note, Pete, I'll get out my little nerd rage moment here. I think this episode a little less judicious about like making sure, well, it's daytime in California, so it's morning in Okinawa, and it's... And look, could this be presented slightly out of chronological order? Sure. Just wanted to note that, if only because they seem to have really nailed planetary synchronized time and the sun and lack thereof in the first episode. But anyhow, at the Daystrom Institute, it, it also is daytime. Dr. Girardi is listening to classical music. Whoa, uh, did my ears detect Cassilian opera? Ooh, was it, Pete? I think it was. I think this is another nod to Discovery, the uh, the form of opera that Dr. Hugh Culber, and by extension, and Paul Stamis listen to. Anywho, Pete, the music gets paused, okay? Uh, Drotty, you know, mid-sandwich or mid-breakfast. Uh, Commodore O is there, Pete, in sunglasses. <gasps> Nerd Rage Online. I got a theory, Pete, but we're going to tackle that in the theory segment. Commodore O says they need to talk because Commodore O knows that you can say dramatic things to end a scene. Back we go to the Borg Cube. That's right, Pete. Buckle up. We're breaking out of last week's pattern where it was Picard, not Picard, Picard, not Picard. We just did a not Picard scene followed by a not Picard scene. Hugh confirms that he is the executive director of the Reclamation Project because either the guard doesn't know him or we need exposition to really hammer home uh, Hugh's, I almost said Q, that would have really blown my mind. Uh, yes. Yeah, we need the exposition to know what Hugh is doing. In they go, Pete. It's the Romulan cuckoo's nest. And the disordered, as Soji refers to them, um are Romulan, the only Romulans ever assimilated as far as Hugh knows. And he would be in a fairly good position to know that. So definite pin in that for theory time a little bit later. Some play with the Romulan equivalent of Rubik's like cubes. Uh, others draw things. Uh, Borg-looking structures, a lot of a lot of gray, a lot of black, and others uh, pantomime uh, actions. But Ramda, over in the corner there on the table, places cards and lays down one bearing a moon. And I I googled hardcore and I cannot find it again. But I did read. I know this, and I know I shared it with Matt off mic. Um, prior to our podcast of the first episode. So Dodge and Soji, uh, Dodge apparently in some language means sun and Soji means moon, but I cannot find that again. And I apologize for that, but there's added meaning to these cards. Ooh. 
Uh, we pop back to Vasquez Rocks, where Picard calls Rafi, sends info to her. He knows she's researching. He then quickly hangs up. Pete, if we're going to get simultaneously our love for Father Picard uh, and also acknowledge that he was a jerk for not being in touch with her, treating her like an underling, even though she was all like, hey, JL, can you be my surrogate you know paternal figure uh we get a little of that here where it's like hey i know you're working on the cool thing i sent you work more click um then we go to la serena which pete i don't know and you can you probably have it in your notes i don't know if la serena gets named on screen it does um, not well then on the ship of captain rios which some have uh less than fully canonically called la serena Good, I'm glad my instinct was correct. Picard beams in, uh, asks for Captain Rios. Hello, who's here? Uh, a British man. Shirtless, him. Matt. Well, that well, Pete, the British man who meets him is not shirtless. <laughs> Quick, follow me. Then we see the same face, shirtless, smoking a, what I'll assume is a Cubano. He's going to be drinking Aguardiente. He's going to... And I know I'm a little out of order here, Peep. I'm leading to a point. Uh, he's going to take some some of that 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 booze, splash his wound, and say, "Aye." So, are you clear that the dude is 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 Hispanic? Are you clear between the the Cubano, the Aguardiente, and the Aye? That not until Picard picks up a copy of Spanish philosophical essayist Miguel de Unamano's uh, "A Tragic Sense of Life." Am I completely clear? But again, I I really dug that. Okay, he's got an E M H that is British. Uh, he is Spanish. He has an E N H emergency navigational hologram that speaks in an Irish accent. Um, I am looking forward to the multiple more holographic uh programs he has for all the different things on the ship I, i'm looking forward to the culinary uh one that has an australian accent i'm looking forward to He's ech the, emergency cooking hologram yes culinary come on we're, we're gonna, okay, we're gonna yeah. keep it uh you know uh in, in the in in the clinical um i i really dig this as an affect i really dig that you know the the holographic one is cleaned up and dressed better and you know all right are, are they hamming up a little bit of of what you're talking about they are I, I think that it works oh it does it's a ton of fun and i think it also if we didn't get enough insight as to his other little character moments in this scene i think that you could say the fact that he the fact that he looks at his own face all the time for presumed companionship and i don't mean that in a you know in a in a sensual way but the fact that he's hanging out on his ship and the entire crew prior to you know putting a motley crew together it's his own face i think there's something that's both narcissist and on the complete other end something that's completely solitary and sad about it and look the pressure of this scene is to introduce us to this guy real fast and we get all of that uh, he's got the piece of shrapnel in there, Pete. We, you had mentioned off mic. We never find out why. I'll tell you why, Pete. Because dude needs his shirt off, 
And dude needs to be like, don't use the dermal generator on me because I'm tough. Wait, wait. The dermal generator, Matt? Uh, Yes, CBS All Access. Closed captioning called it thermal regenerator. uh, Nerd rage times three. Uh, Get it right, guys. Uh, Hashtag not Gene's Trek. Gene Roddenberry never would have had All Access. Uh, Get the the subtitles wrong. Um, But yeah, that's just par for the course. I would be interested... Hey, listeners, I know this is really pedantic and minimal uh, and and not that important, but hey, listeners who watch this on Amazon video out there in the rest of the world, uh, do us a favor. Go on back to that scene. I'm curious to see what your uh, what your subtitles say. Maybe it comes from central subtitling and just goes out across the land, the world. Uh, But what does it say on Amazon Prime? It'd be interesting to know. Picard hesitates just for a second at the captain's chair, which uh, another really understated moment and, and well done. The EMH deactivated here. We learned that Rios was the XO of a heavy cruiser, the Ibn Majid, which we'll talk a little bit about in the theory segment as well. Okay. Which Starfleet has erased from its records. Uh, but despite Rios's bitterness, Picard says that he can smell Starfleet on him to the core. And Raffi warned him that Picard was a speechmaker. Back we go to Vasquez Rocks. Raffi is still chugging through some data. She finds a link to Gorn Egg, which I'm not taking as a literal thing, but more importantly, she sees something on Free Cloud. She clicks on it. We see it's gambling dice something something so sticking a pin in that uh, at the moment back we go to the unnamed la sirena ship this pete is when we get the irish sounding emergency nav hologram uh who also is of course giving rios an opportunity to reflect on his own uh you know existence and thoughts uh the the nav hologram Wonders if Rios is starstruck by the great Picard, you know, saver of Earth from the Borg, dealer with Q's, captain of the Enterprise D and E, the man who worked with Spock in Unification Parts 1 and 2, and presumably the Romulan stuff off screen because, sorry, the Countdown comics aren't canonical, but it's an opportunity to just say, wow, Picard. Arbiter of succession for the Klingon Empire. So he's done it all. Should you be coming to this show uh, for the first time, you now know he's he's got this massive, important backlog of work. Um, but Rios reminds him that they no longer have a navigational emergency. Uh, and then the ENH acts like an EMH diagnosing an acute moodiness overload. One can, I, I don't know, I'd be interested to know, and this is probably way too deep a dive uh, than necessary, you know, how separate are the different emergency hologram programs? Do they all work off a central bit of code? Are they all based, Pete, on the EMH Mark I? Um, but I guess that's a, that, that's a deep dive for another day. Let's just be clear, though, Pete, this scene ends with Rios saying that though It suggested to him that it might be time to help another soul. He can see his last captain's blood and brains on the bulkhead. Do you understand this character in two scenes? Ten years ago, he's obviously suffered this trauma. It was the thing that led him to leave his beloved Starfleet that still 
stands so big in his life that he orders his ship in their exact standards. So with that, he deactivates the ENH and stares into the stars, the very same stars Picard gazes at from his very fine chateau. They're both star gazers. And yes, Pete, at the chateau, it's the familiar smell of harvest time. Won't he miss it? Asks Laris, suggesting that Picard is going to be gone, I don't know, a long time, maybe forever. Pete, maybe he's never coming back. He's tried to feel at home in this place, but he's always had the eye to the stars. So I think my slight snark aside, they're really selling the motion, uh, the, the emotion that he's not just going out on one last mission, that this is the beginning of the next chapter of his life. Uh, we go back to that Borg cube. Ramda is still playing uh, tri-sided tarot cards. There's talk of false front doors, you know, that the Romulans have. You're supposed to be uh, asking. Are you perhaps referring to a shy queen? Uh, of course, of course. Uh, and to be fair, Pete, maybe I should call the cards Pikmet. Um, but there's this Romulan tradition of entering through the back door. So Soji sits behind Ramda asks if she may enter the home, at least metaphorically. She's told that she may sit at the table. So do you have enough Romulan cultural goings-on in order to cut through the mists in Ramda's mind? I hope that you do. Don't say the M-word yet. Don't say the M-word. At Chateau Picard, Jabon brings bread, Roquefort cheese, and pâté, far beyond the power of any replicator, and drops a plum as disruptor fire fills the room oh man too much talky in your star trek now let's have a fight black hooded romulans attack uh there is appropriate shooting bodies flying glass cracking uh practical stuff like uh the lara stunt double pressed into glass by the camera crunch etc um all sorts of great wire stunts as people go flying there's a slight break in the action then there's one more attack uh, but the last attacker is shot by, wait, who is that? Let's not automatically shoot the person who's entering the room with a gun. Whew, because it's Dr. Girardi. Maybe the gun was on stun. And Laris says rather blithely, Romulan disruptors don't have a stun setting. I love that Picard has two phasers on the old timey, I'm going to mount them to the bottom of the desk situation. Um you wonder a little bit. So Jabon says at the beginning that they seem to have killed the alarm. We've had some serious security lapses at Chateau Picard, and I get it. The Federation, Starfleet in particular, has sidelined him. It's not like he's a president and would get, uh, you know, Secret Service or anything like that. He does have two Tal Shiar. Uh, who revere him, protecting him. And thank goodness, um, you know, somebody had brought up earlier this week and I'm actually seeing increasing chatter about um, uh, Patrick Stewart's age. He's 79. He's going to be 80 soon. Um, He's actually playing an older character. It's not uh, completely canonical, but the character, if things are the way they are, He is playing a character who is probably 92 years old and granted in the nearly uh, 26th century here. uh, Right. 26. 
Uh, this is the end of the 24th century. 20, so, so it's going to be the 25th century. Forgive me. Um, you know, 92 is, you know, 72, maybe, or 42. I, I don't know. But people are going to be living longer. I, I think we can acknowledge that, and it, and it makes sense. And, you know, the, the action scene, he's participated in a couple of them, and, and here he gets some shooting in, which is all fine. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I really appreciated the unfolding of this scene from, from the calm to that. What I was a little concerned about is how frequently they've had security issues on this chateau. Good thing he's heading to space. It does make me wonder, I guess they live in the world. I guess, let me this way, Pete, we can kind of back into a story explanation here for why it's not a simple matter of saying, uh, Appelier neuf un un, call 911. Um, Earth being this great Eden, this sort of thing probably doesn't happen often. And then you put the layer, you know, you said he doesn't have Secret Service, but he does have these former Tal Shiar. I think most of us are still trying to figure out exactly how it is that two Tal Shiar coming from the cold and are now so close to this guy. However, we accept it because there is this warmth there i don't quite know what you know what security clearances or or this that the other uh but maybe therein is the answer that picard doesn't need round the clock secret service or whatever it might be uh because he does have these you know a he's been off the grid for all these years so maybe it was like oh the you know federation police would swing by every day for the first year for the first five years for the first 10 years at a certain point all right he's just puttering around hanging out with his dog Plus, he's got these two live-in people to keep him safe. Um, to me, it works. Uh, and back to the scene, we have the the lone survivor is unmasked. Kind of looked like wrestling legend, the big show, although it wasn't him because the big show is much bigger. Um, he's tied to a chair. Jurati uh, is given wine and says that O was there asking questions. There was one question she wouldn't answer, but wait, stick a pin in that for a later scene. Uh, Jabon is ready to go in for the kill for the survivor, but they're not like that anymore. A little spritzer awakens him, and Picard says he wants to talk. You get an idea of the number. I attempted to count how many Romulan assailants entered the home, and then it becomes difficult in terms of, one, the, the lighting on the scene, and two, is this new guy into the room or is this guy that they've hit before and now are going back into, but you get a good idea in that the bodies are pulled over to the side and Picard is stacking disruptor rifles against the wall. There were a good half dozen that were visible. So this was a sizable kill squad that was sent in. Back. We go to the cube where Soji explains that she's an anthropologist. She begs for forgiveness uh, for the intrusion and keeps kind of hammering home questions to the frail Romulan. Maybe Soji had her foot on the gas a little bit more than was appropriate, but hey, um, just don't call the mythology, call it the news. It's a shared narrative framework to explain the situation just as relevant as the news it's every Star Trek fan's dream. What you're seeing is true. It's just helping us process the real world. It's the news. It's not fake Star Trek. Get out of my bedroom, mom. <laughs> and 
it's a way for former Borg, particularly these Romulans, to understand their trauma. And as this is being relayed, Ramda recognizes Soji. And then we head back. So now we are intercutting the two scenes, the interrogation of the unnamed Romulan thug and Soji's questioning of Ramda. Uh, indeed we are. Uh, on the cube portion, uh, Soji is remembered from the meeting tomorrow. Uh, and uh, Soji says that Ramda was the survivor of the last ship, the cube attack. Something went wrong. What caused the submatrix to collapse? Pete, moments after that, I didn't see it on the first view. I didn't see it on the second view. I saw somebody tweet about it. And I wasn't sure that it was there. I went back and checked on the third view. Oh, you about... checked with me first. I checked with you. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pete, within two seconds of her saying what caused the submatrix to collapse, what yeah. happens? Because I bet a lot of people didn't catch it either. And I, the first time I saw it, I had to go back because I thought it was a reflection. Uh, no, Soji's badge glows green during that part of the scene and that part of the scene only, which is really interesting. So we know before from the previous episode that the badge glows green. What are you supposed to do, Matt? Run. She doesn't run and it no longer glows green. So very, very interesting that it was when we were discussing a particular Borg event, a submatrix collapse, which I'm sure will be put into proper context for us in future episodes. Just want to note that there was a little bit with Picard and the Romulan in between asking why the Tal Shiar is on Earth, if he's Jat Vosh, uh, even the proffer that Picard would would release him if he provides answers, but Laris notes that it's pointless because that Romulan is a stubborn northerner like Jaban, hence the bumpiness of the forehead to the smoothness and Irish accent of the Romulan lass Laris. It's almost like, Pete, uh, in the Kurtzman era of Star Trek, they look for ways to reconcile loose threads and reconcile differences in how stuff has been presented for the last 50 years. And sometimes they come up with solutions like, hey, multiple Romulan ethnicities. And other times they're like, hey, Pike's Enterprise got made in 2018. Kirk's Enterprise got made in 1965. Uh, we're just going to roll with the differences and say it's, they're the same because, you know, TV. Um but back to this episode, Pete, we get some, what I'm sure is intentional intercutting here. We have Picard saying, why was Dodge Asha killed? He's told that she's no girl, not what you think she is. We have the cube where Ramda's saying, which sister are you? We have Picard saying, where's the other one? We have uh, Ramda saying to, uh, to Soji, you are the destroyer. We have Picard's survivor saying that she's the destroyer. And it's just, it's just wonderful and it's chaos and beauty. Seb Cheneb, the destroyer here. She will end it all. Um, also, the concept here, uh, the two sisters, the one who dies, the one who lives, and the card with the two women on it, one uh, 
light, the other dark. So seems like we're really going with that sun moon metaphor uh, that was uh, discussed before. Uh, the Romulan spits his green acid. I guess he bit down on a on a capsule. Um, it's not completely clear. Could be a uh, fake this, tooth. That's what spies used to do. Fake tooth. Yeah. The capsule. It, it hits Jabon, who brushes it off with what he was wearing. And in the chair, the Romulan disintegrates into dust. This as uh, Ramda has grabbed a pistol uh, from a Romulan guard. And now she's put it to her head after pointing it at Soji. Soji springs into action, quickly disarms her, and Hugh tends to the disordered Ramda and admonishes the guards. Make sure you holster your sidearms, okay? This this is a, a special ward. We need to take care of these XPs. And here, if you're going to have the uh, goofus guard who didn't know who Hugh was and needed the expositional explanation. Thank goodness that it is the same guard who then has walked in there to be the guard and is the same goofus who lets his disruptor get pulled. So again, if you're going to do a this story, this guy's going to wind up mopping uh, XB juice off the uh, off the hall someday. Absolutely. And again, if you're going to have somebody be an excuse for exposition let him also you know there's a little story arc which is this guy's not cut out for you know th this level of duty here uh later soji calls home to mom via the hollow phone yes dodge is fine and mom is talking your words uh mom's words put soji to sleep <gasps> just like that uh not the first time that we've seen that uh gee whiz pete i wonder who could actually be on the other end of these hollow calls <laughs> And if they are, I don't know, on the faculty at Caltech in the real world, they're going to make a triumph, triumphant return to television in the next month. But later, uh, Soji's door chimes. It's Narek. Pete looking. Here's how you know he's, he's a good actor, this Harry Treadaway, okay? The door opens. There's been all this tension in the scene, right? Eric is looking. Narek is looking either angry or thirsty. And Pete, I'm not talking about the kind of thirst that one can quench with water. Are you saying Dodge really isn't getting a puppy? <laughs> uh, alas. Uh, Narek asks if she's all right. She admits that she didn't know anything about the Romulan ships, the submatrix, etc. It just kind of came to her suddenly. Uh, it must have been from the volumes of unclassified documents that she's read. The Romulan censors must let things slip occasionally, right? That must be what it is. <gasps> we know the difference. He knows the difference. It's all not true. She's trying to piece together an existence, which is a lie. Does he believe her? Well, he asks if she can keep a secret that he may be falling in love with her. And they canoodle here. Then in a darkened corner of the artifact, Narek's sister is back. And so are her ears. Yes, Pete. Ears back. Eyebrows back. Uh, and she asks Narek, what has the machine told him? He admits that she's got no idea. Don't mess it up, brother, in case you have forgotten that we are siblings, even though our faces get really close and there's a certain weird, uh, Hoff base 
uh, Leia kisses Luke kind of a spark going on here. Um, don't mess up nor fall in love with it. Yeah. And Earth, he reminds her, was her miscalculation. Um, and it's the only reason she's let him pursue this highly questionable, far more subtle approach. Back to earth here where Gerardi tells Picard the one thing she did not tell Commodore O that she's going with him to look for the other Dodge. O knows. Oh my goodness, Pete. I'm so glad that she saved that info for the last act of the episode and not prior to the fight because it's got much more oomph now, uh, particularly since, um, Rios calls. He says he's ready. Wait, it's earlier than planned. He's heard things are heating up. Uh, Gerardi again gives her plea to go. She's the leading synthetic expert on Earth. With that, the two beam up. Uh, we're on the, the bridge. Pete, echoes of uh, Star Trek Enterprise. This is a bridge that's or, or, or control area that's much deeper than it is wide. Uh, I have to admit, initially pinky up i was like that's not how my star trek bridges should be but i'm rolling with it uh also rolling with it pete is rafi can you believe that she's there too i can believe that she's there given that michelle heard is a regular on this show and we need to bring her back to the uh ragtag crew um well hold she... on pete i don't think she's going to be hanging around for long based on dialogue that's about <laughs> to happen okay she's just there for a quick ride where are we headed we are headed, uh, hitching a ride here to Free Cloud, whatever, wherever that is. We're not meant to know just yet. Uh, she has found Maddox is there, um, <clears throat> but she's not joining the crew. No, she's not. And Picard introduces Girardi to Raffi, who interestingly notes that she has not had the chance to perform even the most basic security check on note in that for a little bit, uh, and won't tell Picard what's on free cloud. But, uh, once they get there, he's on his own, but wait, Matt, we're going to pause for a moment. Everyone will look at Sir Patrick Stewart because we all know what's coming but it still doesn't make it any less glorious. Yes, they stand by until Picard gives the two-fingered engage. Yay, Star Trek theme swooping shot of the unnamed La Sirena as the ship gets underway. Pete, we got a Star Trek adventure happening to end the episode. Pete, we have an incoming threat analysis. Oh, man, and just as we went to warp two, uh, that's T-O-O, although it could be warp two. Don't want to damage the speed limit that one episode set and everybody's ignored ever since then. Bottom line, Pete, Commodore O, what's her threat level? So sunglasses, which I thought was a really interesting choice, particularly because of the Vulcan eyebrows, and we've now definitively had her referred to as a Vulcan by Picard. Um, mm, all sorts uh, Pete, of stay, stay tuned for the theory segment. I have thoughts. Pray continue. <laughs> all sorts of memes out there, particularly uh, of the men in black variety. 
is it possible that she produced a neuralizer during her discussion with Dr. Girardi? I do like the idea that maybe she wore the sunglasses in order to uh, to have an affect in order, you know, she's, if she's Vulcan Pete, uh, she, you know, she herself emotionless, but might know the ability of, you know, here I am in my uniform, my sunglasses, and I'm here to talk business. Um, I, I like that as an idea that she's done it for, for, for impact. What have we since learned about sensitivity to light in the Star Trek universe? Uh, well, we've learned that, mirror universe people the only way to tell them apart is their sensitive uh, sensitivity to light we'll talk about that in a little bit let's move on matt chronologically speaking to helmeted and then not helmeted romulan goon uh i felt he had a lot of passion in his performance uh i do wonder why he took so long to activate the poison pill uh probably so that he could share some information and have a scene um i also i guess i wonder where on the one hand i wonder where these romulan death squads keep coming from but if as picard hammers home to us in the first third of the episode the federation is complicit then it's much more easy to understand that this conspiracy is done with the permission of the Federation of Starfleet, uh, whomever. I just got handed a note, Matt. They come from central casting. <laughs> Moving on, Lieutenant Rizzo, or I doubt that's her Romulan name, also known as Narek's sister. So you have a sister. Let's push our faces very close together and make almost kissy <laughs> face, but not quite. But... I guess that's how they do it in their Romulan family. Uh, she's great as a villain. She's she just oozes villainess, uh, if I may use the the, the gendered uh, uh, suffix there. Um, you just buy both of them as these troublesome, you know, upwardly mobile in the uh, Romulan elite or in the Romulan uh, intelligence apparatus. If there's even a difference between the two. Um, I don't know. She just she's great as a as an intermediary villain uh, for these uh, the two episodes that she's been in. And, you know, by by implication, the impact that she's had on all three. Checking those long range sensors, Pete, for some theories, for some advanced stuff. All right, here we go. Are Commodore O's sunglasses a cool affect? which is a direct violation of the Vulcan inner lid, particularly as mentioned in Star Trek Enterprise, or Pete, proof that she has no lid because she's a Romulan. And then there's what we know now about the mirror universe. We've never had the next generation interact with the mirror universe. I think it would be overstuffed there. So I think it it is likely just that she wears sunglasses i don't think she's a romulan i think there's a little bit of that uh you know unification vibe still going on here perhaps the vulcans or a vulcan here uh aligning herself with the romulans time's gonna have to tell i'm sticking with this as a theory that they are 
they 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 soft pedaled the green badge on soji you know blink and you miss it kind of thing they they the show people must have known oh man sunglasses and star trek and how do we feel about that and you know it's going to be a sticking point how dare they this that the other and it turned into a thing where you go oh my nerd rage was wrong because the show dropped something in plain sight i look forward to the scene i'm going to guess somewhere in the episode 107 range where uh, Commodore O is put in a difficult situation. All of a sudden, she's like screaming and throwing a paperweight <laughs> off her desk. How can a Vulcan lose such? Oh no, she's not Vulcan. So I'm hitching my wagon to that one. The uh, humiliating hovel that um, Raffi lives in. You know, all right. So in the 24th, nearly the 25th century, Standards are going to be different, but this is not the worst space RV to have camped out and and live in by the old Vasquez rocks. Yeah, again, you are canonically establishing that she is a taxi cab ride from downtown Los Angeles. There's a guy on Twitter, nobody would live in Los Angeles in the future. All right, that's just to bolster your argument that you don't know where Vasquez rocks is and that, yeah, it looks like this otherworldly place. It, Pete, it literally is in the, te- the, the 10 mile zone of, you know, the T for which the terrible TMZ is named, but it's literally, if you film there, you can say to your cast and crew, you don't get transportation. You don't get transportation credits. You have to drive yourself. That's how close quote unquote it is. Yes. 45 minute drive via freeway. And it's not the other, but it's that close to downtown Los Angeles. And she's living in a cool, like, I think of, you know, these, um, these, you know, small houses and things that people do, you know, house on the back of a pickup truck and things like that, that work for some people where she's living looks totally cool. She's got great desert to look out upon. She's got a nice little porch there. She's got wind chimes and fans and stuff. I felt it was a little over the top. Like I saw you on the interview and you have oak beams in your study and i have space weed that i vape yeah i I mean totally agree probably probably the first production drawing of like her little like shack that had a a wooden outhouse and a moon on it it was like now we got to update it update it maybe (laughs) maybe they lost sight of the production design a little bit i'll also add this pete it is like, as I said, it is a county park that needs to be kept in certain pristine order, uh, if only because it's this valued filming location. Probably her hovel, I bet that from the angle the camera doesn't get, you could probably see the wheels of the trailer that it's on, you know, okay. flatbed type trailer. And at the end of filming, after a couple of days, you hook that up, you put it on a, you know, on a big rig and pull it away. No, no muss, no fuss. This more expansive vision that the Romulans have per hue for the XBs, uh, because half the galaxy sees them as uh, property. Uh, the other half sees them as a hazardous thing to be warehoused. The Romulans see them as both. What are the Romulans doing with the Borg? Well, we got a little hint in prior episodes that they're selling the tech. And insofar as the, the Romulans are a people without a home, um, 
I guess I kind of buy, you know, like there's whatever establishment of the Romulan, what was it from last week, the Romulan Free Republic or whatever, whatever they're calling themselves. Romulan um, Free State. Romulan Free State. Uh, so, okay, fine. This is how they're making money, which is taking these this terrible tech and selling it to the highest bidder. Um, I don't sense what it could be beyond that. Like, certainly could it be more? Absolutely. But the story hasn't given us more evidence beyond, beyond that, at least to my mind. What's up with this whole theory that buttresses the episode? I, I did really enjoy the flashback to see Picard in uniform one more time to see a different variation of the uniform than we've seen before apart of course from it appearing on the countdown comics um why didn't the romulans want rescue and seem to begin this plot with the synthetic life forms well i think that's the big question there that did someone Romulans want rescue? I mean, certainly from the Laris Jaban neck of the world. Uh, yes. What is this internal thing where I don't know where the Romulans were were open to their own near Holocaust type event uh, in order to advance what purposes? Uh, I I hope that. I mean, look, there's certainly shades of kind of like 9-11 conspiracy theories and things of that sort. I hope that the the season addresses those with a bit more clarity other than, oh, man, it was the Romulan military industrial complex or, or you know, oh, it was an excuse to crack down on civil liberties or something like that. Uh, it, it certainly is the big mystery driving, uh, driving the season. Speak of mysteries, Pete. So we have in Soji and Jaj twin sisters. We have in Romulan culture the twin planets, Romulus mm-hmm. and Remus, which really nothing was ever done with until we got to uh, to to, to uh, Nemesis. Um, and then surprise has always been there. You know, I know that there was a on-screen uh, graphic or, or or similar in uh, in the original series, but I don't have a fully formed theory, but. Twin sisters, twins of Romulus, Romulans know of these twins, at least some of the Romulans, uh, Lieutenant Rizzo, whatever her real name is, uh, and Narek know of these, uh, anything you can make with that. And does that in some way tie to what Ramda brings up, the the one who lives, the one who dies, uh, what Soji what Dodge really are as opposed to what we believe at this point that they have been uh, created out of some kind of cloning process through uh, the late Lieutenant Commander Data's neurons. So is there some other uh, construction? Was that a was that a, a false lead, a, a false front door, Matt, that we were given in the in the first episode? Um, and the, the backdoor theory here that they are actually Romulan in some way connection with the Borg. I mean, this, this Romulan Borg nexus at this point, that that's nexus with a lowercase N Matt. So we're not, you know, bringing Star Trek, uh, generations into this, um, remains unclear and I really dig it. And I think it's a very fertile place for a lot of theories, uh, you know, 
are the Romulans somehow to uh, to blame for the Borg? These are apparently the only Romulans ever assimilated, which would be a massive red flag right there. This Shaynor that uh, was captured, this Imperial uh, scout ship, the last um, people assimilated by that cube. So something happened. Submatrix failure. Sebcheneb sounds an awful lot like Icheb, who was a Borg that the uh, Voyager picked up and freed. And we know we're getting seven of nine. Um, she obviously was involved there. So, you know, they're, they're not giving it away. And there's a lot of directions that it could go at this point the way it should three episodes into a 10 episode season of TV. Certainly, as we try and decipher where the next seven episodes are going, uh, whether it's with the the Soji Dodge uh, origin story mystery, uh, the Romulans, what are they up to? A whole lot of more Borg stuff coming, as you say. So that might be where it uh, where it all joins together. So how is Soji, despite reading every non-classified document on that Borg cube artifact. How is she gaining this information? Is she like wirelessly hacking the, uh, the Romulan or the, the Borg networks? I, I read it more as, you know, she kind of unlocked the, uh, well, the locked files in her brain, uh, that it, it somehow came preloaded. Um, you want to say, oh, at night, uh, Spider-Man symbiote suit style, you know, at night she surfs the Romulan internet and figures this stuff out while she thinks she's sleeping or as she's sleeping, that's when, you know, cut to the bleeps and the bloops as, as her computer brain breaks in. I, I would allow that too, but I just kind of got the sense that as she needed the information, it got delivered to her consciousness from her, from, from a stored state in her brain. The reticence of Ramda to speak about Romulan mythology. I hate the word. We have no word in Romulan for this. Um, also seems like a major point here. Okay, mythology. Let's go backward in terms of what we use to create our sense of storytelling of self that the Borg might be heavily intertwined. Pete, I think that scene was maybe the, the show, the powers that be, uh, whether it's the current people or, you know, Patrick Stewart or just anybody who's ever been in charge of a, a Star Trek story, a Star Trek show, who's been told like, you know, here's the heavy weight that your show must handle. Uh, you can help, change people's perspective of themselves and drastically change their lives. You know, all these wonderful and true stories of, I didn't know I could be in the military until I saw Uhura because I'm a person of color. Or I didn't know I could be a doctor until I saw Dr. Crusher as a woman, you know, and I too could be a female doctor. You know, all of those wonderful stories that are true. I read this scene as kind of like, Hey man, the crazy brain damaged Romulan is all like, don't say my stories are stories, they're real. And that's when Soji was like, yes, they are real because they help you understand the actual truth 
by using fake stories about people in latex outfits and latex makeup who pretend to shoot flashlights at each other. That's how you understand the world. And Rhonda's all like, no, man, it's real. It's real. Kirk versus Picard. That's the real salient debate, not who to vote for in 2020. <laughs> Let's move on here to uh, Rios. Uh, quite a bit to dig into there, but never, ever answered. Why does he have a piece of titanium shrapnel in his right shoulder when we meet him? We're told... He didn't die. Uh, because we needed a cool way to introduce this man who's a man's man. None of this, tut, tut, number one, you are a mother hen. Let's all be careful. Uh, this, is a, this is a dude who can take some shrapnel, get it pulled out by the apparently unnecessary EMH because it was just a matter of pull it out and then put on a shirt. Oh, wait, my shirt's not on yet. Check out my muscles. And my tattoo. Um, the ENH later tells us that whatever it was scraped off pretty easily. So the only other hint as to what might have put this shrapnel in his uh, shoulder there. So something happened. He didn't die. He got this wound. I'm wondering if this isn't some idea moving forward with this very, very Starfleet condition ship that there might be something else going on with it. Oh, no. I, so you, that's interesting that you're proposing uh, an answer within the story because I was going to propose something outside, two somethings outside the story. And I mean this without being cheeky. I thought maybe this could be a connection to either, you know, the, uh, you know, Countdown Rios prequel comic book or not for nothing. You got this whole set here. You got a guy uh who can play multiple characters uh so pete this smells like a uh, a star trek short trek in which we get you know 10 days earlier and he's you know fiddling with whatever and it explodes whatever adventure whether it's i love it i'm whatnot. ready to write it right now there you go it's one guy he plays four parts this is when you get the emergency culinary hologram as well um maybe a southern accent you know Hey, Captain, can I get you some more grits? No, I'm bleeding. Oh, then you meant the EMH. I uh, want an emergency waste management technician hologram. Okay, what what uh, accent could he speak in? Uh, Boston. Boston, hey, which, which way to you all, your, which way to the poop there? You trash over here. Um, I, I thought that, and I mean, look. I'm not throwing rocks to say, oh man, look, they gave 3PO a red arm, not just to sell figures, but to tell to sell to, to be a placeholder for the later story of how 3PO got the red arm. Or look, in Discovery Season 2, Spock on a snowy planet. Something, something, somebody's gonna write the book, uh, have him end up on a snowy planet where he sees the something something. This is what you do nowadays is you leave those spaces for other people to pick up the ancillary connected works and that's how i read this although pete i do like your idea that it's going to be you know oh man rios we've come to catch up with you what since you blew up our ferengi cruiser and got that shrapnel in your arm so rios served aboard the heavy cruiser in starfleet the ibn majid that name is that of a 15th century navigator and cartographer 
But the ship was erased. Why was the ship erased? More evidence of the the poisoned well that is Starfleet. Um, I I believe I've mentioned this on the podcast. If I haven't, I'll mention it now. But I suspect that by the end of maybe not the season, but at the end of the series, it's you know Picard elected Federation president. He's going to clean up. He's going to bring back the Star Trek times to the Star Trek universe. Not in some story sense you know this is star trek this is all wonderful but just he's going to bring back that sense of idealism um and you know and tell the truth about things like the ibn majid and you know get all those rotten romulan conspirators out and you know things of that sort so rios's captain died 10 years ago did that lead to the classification the the scrubbing away of the ibn majid uh, I would think that those two are related, and I think that it would probably it would be an inefficient story if it ends up not being related. The Gorn egg crypto algorithm identification, Easter egg or just Gorn egg? I think more an Easter egg. You know, like there's all these hacking terms, and I certainly don't know them, but just all this. You know, there's all this kind of trade language that any trade has. And I read it as such that this is, you know, you know, anybody who's trying to hide a file, you know, that you can do the old Gorn egg, whatever that is. And then that uh, Gerarty is so passionate about going. She wants to find this other uh, sister that Dodge, uh, they don't even have it confirmed at this point may have had we know exists um but that rafi points out she has made the ship here without being vetted is this just a red herring or is the uh the innocent seeming and and adorkable uh much in the way that tilly is on discovery uh dr agnes p gerarty uh, really the most dangerous member of the crew. I had initially read the line as just a little bit of a story, you know, like story wiggle, like, hey, the security person doesn't even know about this. And it's just an opportunity to excuse away the fact that Gerardi is not really mission ready. However, I think it is worth watching out for your point that we really don't know a lot about Gerardi. Um Picard essentially emailed and said, hey, can we meet? And she said, sure. Uh, and then they met in the lobby and they talked a little bit more. You know, like, this is not a deep relationship, so there certainly is plenty of room for a conspiracy like that to unfold. With that, let's head to Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. Pete, let's start with Twitter. Uh, we had put our traditional poll on there. One star, deactivate EMH, got 0%. Two stars, Nice Ears, Sis, got 6.5%. Three stars, Romulan Rumble, got 22.6%. And four stars, Engage Ing, got 71%. So some healthy votes there. Uh, some tweets. First is from JT Atkins. That's H, uh, at JTA is me. Loving it. It's a small thing, but I appreciate the soundtrack Next Generation callback when they warp away. Love the mystery building. It'll be really great when we find out that Soji's other twin is Daisy, the Destroyer of Worlds. Pete, that's an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. reference. Yeah. Uh, also, 
Also, a tweet from James. It's at Big Killin. We're finally off on our adventure. They better keep an eye on Dr. Gerardi. I don't think she's as mousy as she lets on. So many awesome characters. Didn't think it would be this good. So it looks like you and James on the same page. Um, tweet from Sarcastic Canadian. That's at LuckHardTJason. To be honest, the last two episodes seemed a little slow. I wish they'd squeeze them together into one. Then two more tweets here, Pete. One from Andre Yeager. That's at Dr. Polo in 1983. Love the uh, mythology they are building. Each episode goes a little deeper. And then last, but certainly not least, from Ramon Urquiza. Hashtag Star Trek Picard. Hashtag We Are Starfleet. That's at Rar Quiz. Engage. <laughs> um, in terms of building the crew in this episode, and still that we don't have Soji with them she's obviously the uh the the crux of their search we have not yet met the uh the final member of the regular cast that's going to happen next episode and narek is not with them um it struck me will this be the first star trek show you know the first one named for a character is it going to be the first one that will have a crew that is entirely not Starfleet? Um, you know, the, the discussion in earlier days of Trek, okay, here's the next generation. Oh, we're going to set the next show on a space station. Wait, it's not Wagon Train to the Stars. It's instead a Ponderosa show. Okay, that's an archetype. Then we're going to do Lost in Space and go back to a starship. Then we're going to have a prequel series, you know, set on a starship with a Starfleet crew. Then we're going to uh, have another show with a Starfleet crew. Um, it, it struck me that this might be the thing. I think we've been watching it with the idea at the end of episode Nine, will Picard step onto Enterprise F and turn to Raffi and then turn to Romulan's first ever Starfleet uh, member or members in Narek and, and the unnamed uh, character Elnor at this point? I, I don't know. I, I think it'd be a really interesting way to go if it winds up being that way. Well, I think you already have the one current Star Trek show that's uh, of that, you know, more traditional cloth. And if you're looking to differentiate uh, and also, you know, to whatever degree Patrick Stewart needed to be wooed back and didn't want to do Picard gets abducted by the Borg for a third time and things of that sort, you know, for all we know, it might've been him saying, look, I don't want to be sitting in a chair saying open hailing frequencies, start a scan. Uh, I want to do something different. I mean, this is certainly different. Yes, you have the crew. Yes, you have the ship. But it's a different kind of crew and a different kind of ship. Pete, let's head to the email inbox. First one up from our pal Ian Knight in the UK. He says, hello, just watch episode three of Picard and have a couple of thoughts to share. First, a little gripe uh, that the editing and general flow seemed to be a bit more clunky in this episode. An example being the transition from presenting going away gifts to an all-out disruptor battle. Ignoring that, there was, again, so many elements to savor, 
EMHs, ENHs. I wonder how many other holograph pals, Wolverine, I mean Captain Rios, has tucked away. <laughs> oh my goodness, great catch, Ian. We saw Hugh, of course, and there could be a spinoff show all its own with him and his journey. Apologies if I'm treading on previously covered ground, but this episode firmed up my belief that there will be time travel involved at some point. I do have a really big theory about that, but it may really be a huge spoiler if it's true and some Raffi-like thinking. Even the episode title, The End is the Beginning, hints at a time loop of some sort. One thing I'm fairly certain of, though, is Gerardi being controlled or manipulated by O. That was one more clunky, uh, one, that was one of the more clunky plot points for me. The final word for me, though, has to be about the final word of the episode, even without the musical, even, yeah, even without the musical reminder of the next generation, the utterance engage had me in pieces. I'll try and pick myself up for next week. I look forward as always to your thoughts, Pete, that from Ian. Well, thank you, Ian. Um, the, the O stuff with Gerardi, I could see where that's the case at the same time, you know, to, to what level will they let this character be her own rather than, you know, being pushed in a particular direction. The time travel thing is an interesting aspect. Um, one I had not considered and kind of puts some pieces in perspective. Now, can we do in the 10 episode first season and in the remaining seven episodes, uh, catching up with more Borg in particular seven of nine, um, finding Soji and a conspiracy story and time travel story that might feel really, really overstuffed yet at the same time, you've had people who have since complained it's taken you three episodes to put him on the bridge of a starship and say the word that he said for seven seasons. So I declare Star Trek Picard is not Star Trek. I would love to hear more from Ian as to this theory. And I'll just throw in as one bit of evidence. We have, uh, we have the, uh, the, the wounded Romulan talking about, I met you tomorrow. So maybe some time stuff there, or maybe just a scrambled mind. Pete, next email from Bob Keeley, who says, Hi, Matt and Pete. I am just so impressed with Picard. The thing that I most enjoy, I think, is the pace. That well-measured delivery of Patrick Stewart seems to permeate the entire show. This is a show that I enjoy much like a fine wine, sipping it slowly, enjoying each scene, especially those with Picard in it. Sorry for the cheesy and perhaps too obvious metaphor, but I couldn't help myself. Pete, not cheesy at all. Uh, he's got wine and cheese. Uh, back to Bob's <laughs> words. Thus, a great contrast to many other shows with their almost manic pace, although I enjoy them, uh, although I do at times enjoy them. This show just feels special. This episode was great and it ended with a crew assembled and a space adventure ready to begin. What fun. Thanks again for your podcasts. It's nice to have someone to watch with and your discussions help shorten my commutes. Blessings from Bob. Oh, thank you, Bob. It's nice to hear there. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it needed to be this different special thing. And when you're bringing back Sir Patrick Stewart after these many years, after our suspicions, he would not play the character anymore. It, it needed to be the thing to lure him. He's a producer on the show. He has say he was there in the writer's room on day one. So he's helped to develop this story. And you give a, uh, you know, 
veteran thespian the thing he wants to do. And uh, I, I think this being the, the perfect project. Next email, Pete, from Lori, who we've had the pleasure of uh, seeing a few times at uh, New York Comic Con and other uh, New York conventions. Hey, guys, it looks like the emergency hologram program has branched out to other specialties. Didn't the medical have an English accent and the Irish accent was for engineering? Keep up the fantastic work and looking forward to the podcast. Pete, that from Lori. Can you offer some clarification? Well, we're told E-N-H in the subtitles on the second one. So, uh, navigational, uh, could there be an engineering one with a Scottish accent perhaps? <gasps> oh man, they've got to do that. They just simply must do that. Lori has cracked the code. Well done there. <laughs> as long as we still get the waste management, uh, hologram with a, with a Boston accent. <laughs> what do you have on your communication screen, Pete? A pair of Apple podcast reviews left for us here. First from Catrice Howard. The headline is love it five stars. And it reads, I love that someone has been following Star Trek Picard. I love the show and the podcast and I'll continue to listen. Thanks gentlemen. Thank you for listening. Always glad to be part of the conversation. It is kind of a crowded podcast space, and that's why, in particular, we ask you to leave a rating. Takes a second, or a review takes a little bit more, but can definitely use that to help uh, rise above the many other Picard podcasts out there. Uh, second review left for us here by Cher Nelson nine nine. The headline is "Great Podcast" again, five stars, and it reads. It's always more enjoyable to watch a show with a podcast. I listened to three Picard podcasts to find my favorite, and this one has it all. Thank you for your insight into the Star Trek universe. Well, thank you for those kind words. Certainly, you can listen to as many Picard podcasts as you want. And, uh, you know, nonetheless, the fact that we, uh, the fact that the cream rose to the top, that is uh, most appreciated there. Pete, next up, look, Commodore O might wear those sunglasses because she's a secret Romulan or because she's trying to mess with dumb humans. But you know who wears sunglasses all the time? It's a guy who has to wear them because he's so dazzling, so bright, so cool. It is, of course, our Admiral Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Card Season 1, Episode 3. Okay, about this episode, let's start with Commander O. Did she walk out of the Blues Brothers or Men in Black? Really ridiculous with these sunglasses. And did I see a change in her ears? Did they get pointier, more Romulan instead of Vulcan? What I liked a lot was the ears getting pointier in Narissa Rizzo. I actually really wonder if that is her Romulan name. But she looks quite stunning in her very nice black leather outfit. She reminds me, by the way, of the elf warrior Turiel in The Hobbit, played by Evangeline Lily. But Rizzo is more wicked. If we see what Shiban and Loris can do, I just don't understand why they don't go with Picard. Why they stay on the vineyard. Are these grapes? Really so important? 
Isn't protecting this old guy not more important? Well, they really showed they can fight, but perhaps they will join in a later phase. I liked a lot that we finally got a emergency medical hologram doctor back in a Star Trek series. Uh, very nice, and even a cloned one, which opens of course my orphan black heart. On the other hand, the EMH on Voyager was also a physical copy of its creator, Dr. Timmerman. There was an article of Screen Rant on the internet that says Star Trek Picard's Voyager tech proves Starfleet's hypocrisy in the sense of that all sins and AIs perhaps are banned because of the risk they could get rogue. On the other hand, I disagree with this article because Rios's space vessel is rogue on its own. So perhaps he did buy on the black market an EMH program. So this is not Starfleet equipment at all. Although Picard says your ship smells like Starfleet. Talking about that ship, it really looks nice on the inside and the outside. And in the last scene where Picard says engage, of course we all expected that, but it was still nice. I really liked the interaction between Jean-Luc and Raffi. Although the first scene, the opening scene, there the acting of both Sir Patrick and Michel Hunt was not 100%. I had some feelings of a little overacting again there. And another thing I'm questioning is is Soji really falling for Nerex? I think I'm falling in love with you. Although his sister did warn him about don't fall in love, so it could be true. Okay, that was all for this time. Greets Fred from the Netherlands. Pete Wisdom as always from Admiral Fred. So first up, will we see Commodore O maybe in a jazz band before the season is over? What with those sunglasses and whatnot? I don't think so, nor do I suspect she's on a mission from Gad. <laughs> uh, a bit more seriously, yes, this debate that Fred uh, had mentioned about synths uh, versus holograms. Here's my view on it. I think I, I think we had discussed this in a, in a previous podcast. I know from a story point of view, they're basically the same. You know, you walk into the holodeck and Minuet is as flesh and blood as a robot person would be outside the holodeck. And yes, there were all these holodeck misadventures where it went wrong and tried to take over the ship and Moriarty and all that stuff. Those were all story conveniences to do cool holodeck episodes. The way it's supposed to work is a holodeck, uh, a hollow projection is just a projection. Yes, it's temporarily physical or whatever, but if there's some kind of problem, you unplug the projector versus a synth that is while not flesh and blood, is physical, is uh, driven by its own brain and, and things of that sort, where it's not just a simple matter of cut power to all hollow, you know, hollow projectors, and that at least theoretically solves your problem. And I think it remains unclear, given that this is an off-the-books starship, because we've said it's an off-the-books starship. So we don't know. Uh, could there be some form of hypocrisy? There might be if we wind up aboard a Federation ship and see that they are still using emergency or other uh, you know, holographic personnel. 
um, then we'll have our answer. Pete, tell us a little bit about Fred's photo that he sent in. Well, to the synth angle, Matt, he sent a photo here as we're recording uh, that in the previously on uh, segment, there's a difference with the scene from last week. We have never seen text appear in F8's eyes, and now there it is. So uh, there's three frames that he's sent of uh, the eyes there with uh, looks like blue text. It's a little difficult to uh, to zoom in and see, but uh, part of whatever message might have been sent, whatever activation to F8. So have to keep an eye on that moving forward. Absolutely, Pete. And always keeping an eye on us are the people who support us on patreon.com slash fantasticgeek, making sure that our off-the-books starship can still maintain an EPH, that's the Emergency Podcast uh, Hologram. And uh, the question is, which one of us is that hologram? (laughs) Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels to choose from, but it takes just a dollar to beam yourself in a dollar per month that is measly quarter a week so check it out today at patreon.com slash fantastic geek all sorts of goodies there the best though pete is talking to you on twitter that's a freebie how can people do so you can find me on twitter at peter p-i-e-t-e-r j-k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r 11,125 followers can't be wrong and while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. Pete, over on the Pop Culture Podcast feed tomorrow, we'll be talking the effervescent Birds of Prey movie that came out this weekend. If you're here just for Star Trek, though, we will be back next Saturday to talk Picard 104. With that, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you, Pete, the final word. Kind of a know-it-all, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs>